Come on in. Make yourself at home. Owners, jockeys, trainers, breeders, fans from every walk of life. Whether this is your first race or you know the back stretch like the back of your hand. If it's horse racing, we're talking about it here. Welcome to Clubhouse Turn, powered by Horseracing.fm, with your host, Sonny Hughes. Welcome to Clubhouse Turn. I'm your host, Sonny Hughes, and today we have a very, very special guest. She goes by the name of Andy Bancone. If you watch horse racing television on FanDuel TV, you just might recognize her voice. Andy, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hi, Sonny. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being on the show. We appreciate it. We know you have a extremely busy schedule and for you to uh, stop and make some time for us today is uh, exciting. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say, if that's OK. Of course. Let's do it. Awesome. Awesome. Bet. For those that do not know who Andy is, well, she has a long list of everything that she that she does. Right. Starts off early in the morning as an exercise rider, has participated in some training duties. Then she goes off into the afternoon and, and does horse racing television, FanDuel TV. You know, Andy, I feel kind of better if you just explain a little bit about what that is versus me trying to tell people exactly what you do. Is that cool? Of course, no right. problem. So I am a reporter and a racing analyst for FanDuel TV. So what I do is... I basically assess horses and tell the gambling public who I think they should place their money on in terms of wagering. I also get to interview jockeys, interview trainers, just try to get as much information as possible to help better serve the racing and gambling community. But my dad is a trainer. His name is Patrick Bancombe. And I've always been a part of his business. We've kind of grown our barn together when we moved out to Florida seven years ago, he has been training since he was 22. So he originally trained in France, then Hong Kong for 10 years. That's where he met my mom. Then we moved to the States in about two, in the year 2000. And I've just always grown up around the barn. I was his shadow from as early as I could remember. He, you know, put me into work as soon as I could. Basically, age 10, I was hot walking courses for him. And then I learned how to gallop. And eventually I became his full-time assistant. I even dropped out of University of Florida to become his assistant full-time when he got kidney cancer. So I did fall into the FanDuel TV position almost two years ago, but I've still just remained a big part of his stable. And it is the joy of my life to get on horses every day. So I just have not given that up. (laughs) Wow. 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 There's only 24 hours in a day. I don't know how you do all that. <laughs> no social life. No social life. Let me ask you this. So walk us through what a day is like for Andy. I usually get up. Um, well, it depends. So when I'm back in Florida, I just kind of get on a couple horses for my dad. And then I have an hour commute to Gulfstream. So I lose a lot of time with that commute. But I'm out here in California right now working for FanDuel. This is probably the longest I've been away from my dad's stable. So he told me, you know, go out there for your job and I'll send you horses for Del Mar. So right now I'm just freelancing horses in the mornings. So basically getting on horses for other people and just to stay fit. And obviously that, you know, keeps me out of jail getting on horses. So (laughs) I basically wake up at four in the morning, get ready. I'm usually at the barn around five. I get on 
here I get on a lot more horses because I just I'm not so limited with that commute usually when I ride for my dad I get on like three or four and his sets are longer but out here I've been getting on seven horses a day eight horses a day and then I come home I usually try to do my handicapping the night before and in the morning so I'll split it up half and half so I'm not overloaded in the morning um but I come home I do the rest of my handicapping then I go I take a shower get ready I go to work which is at the track I'm usually I'm either in the studio or at the races but mostly at the races and I'll usually spend my time partially on the desk as an analyst and then another portion of the racing card as a reporter. I personally prefer being a reporter because I honestly find myself to be a mediocre handicapper at best. I've never been a gambler, but I've always been a horse person. So I feel like my strength comes from looking at the horses, going off the energy they give me in the paddock, what I see from them and making my assessments that way. So usually finish up the race card, go home, eat dinner, shower, study a little bit and go to bed. Wow. And you said you dropped out of school. Like, it sounds like you're doing more schoolwork now than you were probably at University yeah. of Florida, right? <laughs> Big difference, though. The schoolwork is, is it's all horse-related. So um, <laughs> I attended Palm Beach State College, which is a, it's a community college. So I was galloping for my dad and taking classes there. And then I transferred to University of Florida, which I only attended for a year. I was supposed to go back for my final year, but my dad fell ill with kidney cancer. So I just opted to save my last year of school for when I retire and I just <laughs> kind of <laughs> fell onto the backside. So, yeah. That's an amazing story about what you have to do throughout your day. And then kind of like an overview of what, uh, what your family has gone through, the different challenges and, and personal uh, things that you had to persevere through. You know, your father, you mentioned him. For those that do not know, uh, Patrick Biancone, he is not just a top trainer in the United States of America, but you kind of mentioned it, but he was a top trainer in Hong Kong as well as Europe. I mean, there's not too many people that can actually say that. He is a pretty well-traveled man, for sure. I feel like he's had like three different lives, like just <laughs> within his own life. But um he was actually a pretty successful trainer in France. He won three Arc de Triomphe. He got DQ'd from one of them because of a riding infraction. But so technically two Arc de Triomphe. He had a filly called All Along who won Horse of the Year back in the 70s. You can look her up. She's pretty. I wasn't alive, unfortunately, but she was really cool. <laughs> then he moved to Hong Kong, early 90s, trained there for 10 years. That's where he met my mom. And that's where I was born. I was born right across the street from Shatin Racecourse. Literally, you could see Shatin from the apartment I lived in. So I grew up living on the top floor and looking down at the racetrack every single day. And we moved to the United States when I was three. My dad started training at Santa Anita and kind of bounced from Santa Anita, Kentucky and Saratoga. So spent a lot of time in each of those states growing up. I had my Saratoga summers and I'd be on his farm in the springtime in Kentucky and obviously at Santa Anita. I was just his little shadow every weekend for school. I was always coming to the barn with him. The horses have always been my escape. Even before I could ride them or walk them, I was always in a stall playing with the horses, feeding them grass. You know, he, my dad would pull me out of school to go to horse sales. I have to give him a lot of credit because for my job right now, I really have to be able to look at the horses to see 
to make my assessments on who I think is the best for the race. Like I make paddock picks. And it's crazy because my dad growing up, he used to give me a program at the races every weekend. And he would make me look at every, every race. He would make me go in the paddock and pick three horses that I liked. He would tell me, don't look at the odds, pick three horses that you like, just based on what they look like. And he made me do that for years from age 11 until I was 18. Like every summer, he'd make me do that. And he'd pull me out of school to like go to the sales and he would really train me in terms of what to look for in a horse. And he himself is very talented. He's got a great eye for horses. I mean, we had Sole Volante run in the Kentucky Derby in 2020 and that horse was a $20,000 purchase. And he was able to find that horse, like a diamond in the rough. Like you have to do so much homework just to be able to pick a good horse out of the hundreds of horses that go through that sale. I really have to give him a lot of credit wow. for where I'm at today. Wow, that is amazing. He actually had you doing what you're doing now as a career. Uh, he yeah. actually had you doing that when you were younger. Just, just hey, do this. Pick out three winners. Pick out three horses in a bad eye when you were really exactly. Wow. Which is crazy. I've always since I was really young, I always wanted to train horses. Like when I was in the first grade, it was career day and I wore puffer vest, stop watch. I brought like a cup of coffee and I had a baseball cap and everyone was like, what are you? I was like, I'm a horse trainer. I'm like, okay. Wow. You know, that's, that's very inspiring because when you sit here and you say, Hey, you know, when I was in elementary school, I showed up and I said, Hey, I want to be a trainer. I want to be you know, this or that, and you're actually living that out. And then your father was able to uh, kind of guide you and and lead you down a path to say, hey, look, learn this, learn that. You may need it later in life. And and the thing that he taught you is actually what is is putting money in your bank account. Now, one of the things that I that I heard, and I want to I want you to, you know, give me a little bit more understanding on this. Legacy is a is a very big word for me. Uh, it means mm-hmm. a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But I'm curious to see what what legacy means to you. I heard that. Well, we know that your father is in the horse horse business. Uh, your grandfather was in the horse business, and your great grandfather. Tell us about yes, that, if you don't mind. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So the horses, I guess, have just always been in my blood. I guess my yeah, my great grandfather, my grandpa, my dad, all trained. So I guess if the legacy is to continue, it's it's me. Like I have to, you know one day be a trainer and I still I still want that. I right now I'm having a lot of fun in this broadcasting career and I love it so much, but I do eventually still see myself training horses, even if I'm like a fifty year old galloping granny with like five horses. Like that would be fine. I would be happy. <laughs> as long as I have horses in my life, I'm happy. That is an awesome awesome uh story in regards to the legacy and and family and wow i'm amazed at that you definitely have to keep that going and you definitely uh, have to get your trainers uh, uh well you probably have your trainer license but have your barn going and i know you already got your owners and owner silks out there i've, I've seen those so <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's been fun my dad has been really nice in letting me get involved in a couple horses and it's been a lot of fun doing things together and you know it's our thing well, let me ask you a question. We, we talked about the fathers and the, and the grandfathers and the great grandfathers, and you mentioned your mother. Is it true? I read somewhere where your your mother also did television talking and spokesperson on TV. Is that true? Yeah, she was the first Miss Hong Kong, which is pretty crazy. But through that, she really got into a lot of um, 
got into some broadcasting opportunities and things like that on the Asian television in Hong Kong. And um, so it's kind of crazy that I get to, I've always been a daddy's girl. I've always been like nothing my mom has ever brought up to me has piqued my interest. Like I've always hated fashion, hated heels, hated makeup, hated all that stuff. I've always just, you know, been in the barn. So it is actually kind of nice to do something that's a little bit more on my mom's side and kind of merging both of their passions into myself, I guess. It's, It's pretty interesting. I think it's interesting, right? Half a mom, half a pops, and you're doing both of their, uh, you know, occupations that they have that they have in their lives. So let me ask you this question: Since you don't really like the the lights, so to say, from the television with what you have to do, dress up and this and that, the heels, what impacted your decision to be a television analyst and paddock reporter? What impacted that decision? How did you get there? It's just a really amazing. I don't know. It gives you a really good platform to taste some of the best parts of the industry. I mean, I've had a lot of career highlights personally, just with my own horses, Diamond Oop, Soleil Volante, getting to experience, you know, the successes with those horses. So special, like that rewarding feeling just to work with these horses every day and to see them succeed. It's just the absolute best feeling in the world. But as a TV analyst, I kind of, I get excited for other people too. So I feel like I get to taste that a little bit every day. When I see a certain horse, for example, even a cheap claimer who has been knocking at the door, gets second, third all the time, and finally they break through and win. I get excited for those connections and excited for that horse. So it's a similar feeling to when you have your own horses and you work with them every day and they succeed, but you get to root for other people. You know, I love getting to talk to everybody and getting to look at horses every day just like expanding my passion past the shed row, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Were you ever nervous or intimidated or or a little, you know, scared just from the simple fact of, hey, I'm on live television right now and they don't have or we don't have the privilege to stop, rewind, delete. Let's try this again. You're on live television talking to the world. Sorry that if you didn't realize that, but, no, but you are, right? Yeah. No, I, for the first year, I mean, I was just the sweatiest person you could ever meet in your life, just profusely sweating. Like I had to cut out caffeine for a full year because I would just shake on TV. It's, it's actually really crazy the amount of anxiety that you get from initially when you start working on TV, but I'm past that anxiety now. I just, Michael Joyce told me the most crucial piece of information ever, which is you're not saving lives. You're not doing brain surgery. Like you're not curing cancer. This is not that big of a deal. Just relax. And from that moment on, I was like, he's right. Like what's the worst that's going to happen? And granted, sometimes I have uh, talked myself into weird spots. Like I've talked about horse testicles on TV. (laughs) That's kind of, that kind of, you know, went a bit viral. And that was kind of an accident when I first talked about it. You know, but um, thankfully I haven't gotten fired yet. And it's just, you know, all about bringing the information to the public. You're, you're right. You did go viral. <laughs> and uh, but everything you said was right on point, you know, and um, that's that's cool that you actually had that that moment where where you said, hey, look, you know what? I can do this. And, you know, this is not being in the hospital and, and being a, a surgeon or something. I'm just doing what I love to do and what I um what I was born to do, actually, you know, speaking back to the legacy. 
And with the dynamics of you and your father working in the same barn and, and you galloping horses in the morning, exercise riding horses in the morning that he has owners that, you know, some of them, like you said, were 20,000 or some of them were, some of them cost 200, $300,000, you know, but what is that relationship like in the barn? Because this is, this is where everything has to be as, as perfect as possible, as right as possible. You know, I want you to go 47 for the half and Andy, you, you, you went, you went 45 or 46. Like, you know, what is this, the dynamic of the relationship between you being daddy's girl and, 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 and then daddy also having to manage, manage you as a exercise rider, just like anybody else in the barn. Oh, dad is tough. He is, I am not daddy's girl in the barn. He is tough, tough, tough. I mean, he's made me cry on horses. Just, I feel like he feels like he has to be tougher on me to prove a point. But what I appreciate about him is he's always set me up for challenges. He He's not afraid to throw me in the flames. And, you know, it's really made a difference. One time he stuck me on a van from Florida to Kentucky Downs. Like that was an 18 hour van ride. I had to pee in a cup eight times, but I'm appreciative of that experience because, you know, grooms do that all the time. They do that trip all the time. Grooms, hot walkers. And it really just makes you have a different level of appreciation for your staff. And, you know, he's, he sent me to Saratoga one time with diamond hoops and Kelsey's cross. I had no groom, no hot walker, nothing. And it's very hard to come by help in Saratoga. I was literally tying these horses up to a fence to give them a bath. Their horses running in braided stakes. I'd get there in the mornings. I'd hand walk. I'd get oops ready. I'd hand walk him for 30 minutes. I'd get on him. I'd walk to the track. I'd come back. I'd untack him. I'd give him a bath. I'd walk him for 25 minutes, give him grass for 10 minutes, put him in, get the next one ready, walk her for 30 minutes, get on her, go to the track, come back. By the time I was done with these two horses, with the way my dad likes to train, I was done they were both in their stalls and trained at 9 30 i was feeding them by the time i did them up was 10 15 then i would do the stalls last because i'm a terrible groom and then uh and and i only had a little bucket i didn't even have a wheelbarrow so i was doing like four trips from kelsey's cross the stall to the muck pit and she would poop for like four horses so it was a lot of a lot of poop shoveling um, and then I would do their laundry. And by the time I was done, it was 12 o'clock and I had to come back at three 30 to feed them and walk them. So I did that for a whole summer by myself. You know, it was grueling. My fingers were cracking and bleeding, but the results that came from these horses and me knowing like, wow, that was my work. Like oops, finished second in the Vanderbilt that year. They broke the track record, ran one Oh seven, seven furlongs and one Oh seven behind Imperial Hint. And then Kelsey's Cross finished third in the Saratoga Oaks. It was just, it was crazy. Wow, wow, yeah. wow. That is, that is something else. Parts. One to six furlongs in 107, my bad. But yeah, that was, uh, it was insane. And that was the start of Oops taking me everywhere. You know, my dad always trusted me with the, with the responsibility of taking him to his big races, riding him, you know, and my friend Caitlin Dunn, um, she would always come and help pony me. And it was always just kind of like a girls team adventure. Granted, my dad would FaceTime me. Like, you know, when Soli Volante ran in the Derby, he FaceTimed me 140 times. I'm not joking. He's super micromanaging. So 
that's always, you know, a bit difficult. And, and the barn is just as tough. I mean, there was like a good, maybe year, year and a, a good year where I never had an afternoon off. I was like feeding every day, you wow. know, he's, he's tough. He's really tough, but I mean, I'm so grateful for everything that he's instilled in me because now I feel like I can work for anybody because nothing could be harder than Patrick. <laughs> Well, well, not only that you can work for anybody, but now you know how to treat everybody, right? That's one of the things that I've found is that some of the hardest working people that I've seen and met are working on the backside of a racetrack. And a lot of them do not get any credit for it, but they still smile because they, they, oh. they love being around horses. And for you to have gone through everything that you've gone through, seen everything you've seen, what would you say to that one individual that's listening to you right now that watches you on television and they're like dreaming, like, you know, one day I want to do that, but they may not have relationships at the track. They may not have this or that. What can you tell them that you've learned in life as part of your philosophy for living that can inspire them? Honestly, I mean, especially for somebody wanting to get involved in the industry who isn't involved in it, like one step at a time, hard work in this industry is appreciated more than anything. That is something people will respect more than anything is when you're a willing to go the extra mile, when you're willing to do that extra thing, when you're not going to complain. So, you know, even if you start hot walking somewhere, give yourself the goal, be the best hot walker in that barn. Walk, be the designated hot walker for the best horse in that barn. Put that goal for yourself. And then when you get there, you know, the trainer is going to see something in you like, oh, this person can handle a little responsibility. Then, okay, I want to be the foreman. Be the best foreman you can be. You know, learn how to check legs. Learn how to be, you know, if you're going to train or work in a barn at any aspect, like you have to be able to groom a horse better than any groom in that barn. Like how can, how is a groom going to respect you if you can't do the, their job as well as they can, you know? So really just, all these little goals, it's so important in the grand scheme of things. You cannot skip steps. You cannot just say, show up one day and say, I'm going to gallop horses or show up and say, I'm going to train horses. No, you have to be able to do the work. And it's hard work. Like I said, your fingers might crack and they might bleed. But guess what? It's it's not an easy game, but it is just the best, the best, most enriching industry you could ever, you could ever be in. I mean the bond between racehorses and humans is the closest thing to magic you'll ever find. It is so unique and so special and, you know, it's not always easy, but it really is the most rewarding thing. Nice. Nice. What's the one line that you tell yourself that you live by? The one line, one line, hmm, one line. That's, that's hard. I've never thought of one single line. Hmm. You're never thinking. lose your enthusiasm. Never lose your enthusiasm. I like that. Yeah. That's I like something that. my dad has always told me. He's just always through everything. I've seen my dad go through some really crazy career lows. You know, he's had, there's been times where he's trained. He's had three barns at Keeneland. There's been times where he's had zero horses, struggling, no income. And the one thing I've always respected about him is he's never lost his enthusiasm. And that's something that he's always instilled in me. Even when he was getting chemo, I mean, he never missed a day at the barn. The horses are really what kept him going. And he still lives by that. And I try to live by that too. Thank you so much for making time for us. 
we really wish you the best. We wish your father the best, the, the whole entire barn and family the best. And we will continue to root for you, even if you can't hear us while you're on television. We'll be cheering for you. Oh, thank you so much, Sonny. Thank you for having me. It was really, really fun. Thank you again. And uh, listeners, if you enjoyed this conversation on Clubhouse Turn, make sure you like us, follow us, and share us. Until next time, ride to the finish line. We out. Thanks, Andy. We appreciate you. Thank you, Sonny.